This message by Jake Simmons was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Jake serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Well, good morning. My name is Jake Simmons, and I do have the privilege of serving as a pastor here, a church that I love, and it's a privilege to open God's Word together this morning. If you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be continuing our series on Peter, Hope in Exile. Be in chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 19. And Peter has been such a timely letter to us. And I think this morning, by God's grace, it will continue to encourage our souls and renew our minds and transform us more into the image of Christ. So join me now as I have the privilege to read God's word to us. May God open our eyes to behold the wondrous things found in his word. Join me beginning in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is God's holy word. I guess it's always dangerous to speak for others, but I imagine that you're like me. If I could design my normal week, so I'm looking ahead, if I could design my normal week, make plans, the week that I would like to repeat again and again and again, it would have no suffering. In fact, it would have no difficulty of any kind. Nothing would be in my way. No one would disagree with me. Everyone would applaud my presence. My ideas would always rule the day. I would have an incessant smile on my face, a body that is completely healthy, and a stomach that is full. I can tell by the smiles on your faces, you're, you're not unlike me. And I'm guessing the smile on your face also indicates that while your week may have included many of those things that you would like it to include, I'm guessing in the past week or in the past month or even this past year, there's many things that have been difficult. Uh, there's many trials and sufferings that you have faced. And as we have seen in 1 Peter, the, the readers, the audience that Peter is writing to, they have been blindsided by suffering. They have been blindsided by persecution. 
And so as a result of this, they are suffering. They are walking through trials. And as Peter writes this letter, what he is wanting to do and what he's wanting to do for us this morning is he is wanting to give us confidence. He is wanting to give us confident trust and hope in God. The topic of suffering has been a reoccurring theme throughout this letter. If you count how many times Peter talks about suffering, it gets up to 15 times. And for a, the, for a small a letter as this is, this is a topic that Peter keeps coming back to. God has called his people to a new normal. A normal that doesn't focus on the kind of comfort and ease and pleasure that we would like for our lives. And God has promised not only blessing in our lives, but He has also promised suffering. But a life that is so amazed and attracted and directed by the glory of God, by the stunning beauty of His kingdom, by the amazing reality of grace that He has done in our lives, that we would be willing to walk toward difficulty. That we would not run away from hardship and persecution, but He has so changed our lives that we would go toward it, that we would involve ourselves in suffering. When I think of that, I think of how far I am yet from that. I think of how much I still need God's daily rescue. I realize that what Peter is going to be calling us to in this letter takes a miracle. That it takes God himself working in our lives. That it takes the Spirit of God, which which God has given to us to work in us that which he has called us to. You see, these verses that Peter has for us, it's, this is a textbook on suffering. This is how to suffer, how to be persecuted as a Christian. What is he calling us to? How do we respond when this comes into our lives? And this is, this is what God has to say to us. And as your pastor, I would encourage you, don't let this be the only time that you consider and think about this text. Let this be the beginning of you studying this text. Let this be the time of you pouring over this text and thinking of this text and, and thinking of the truths and the promises and the glory and the goodness that are, is in this text. Read it tomorrow morning. Discuss it in your community groups. Put truths from it that are relevant to you on your mirror so that you are daily confronted with them. There are deep truths that we must not forget in these verses. So Peter, he's writing to exiles. And remember, in 1 Peter 4.1, he began this, this chapter by saying, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. And so there is a certain way that we as Christians need to think, and it involves suffering too. It involves the way we think about suffering and persecution. And so Peter, he is wanting to continue to lead these churches and not only help them understand that suffering is going to happen, but he was wanting to prepare them and help them understand how to walk through and understand the suffering that they're walking through. You see, bad theology only complicates and worsens our suffering. The time for us to prepare for suffering and to think about what God has to say about suffering is before we enter into it. If not, we can be driven, we can be surprised by it, we can be confused, we can be driven to despair. We ask the wrong questions. Bad theology complicates and worsens your suffering. Bad theology will crush your hope when it needs to be bolstered. Bad theology will weaken your faith when it needs to be strengthened. 
Bad theology will leave your heart wondering when it needs to be rooted and in peace. So the question that I have for us this morning is when suffering enters our door, when suffering enters your life, where does your heart turn? Where do you run to? When suffering enters your door, when it enters into your life, where does your heart turn? I think this morning, Peter, if I could summarize this text, if I could say this is what Peter wants to tell us this morning, it would be this. It says, let your suffering drive you deeper into the heart of God. Let your suffering drive you deeper into the heart of God. And so he wants to help us and encourage us to do this. And so the great thing about these verses is that Peter not only tells us how to respond or what to respond, but he tells us why we should respond that way. So he's not only telling us, here's what you need to do, but he's also saying, here's why you can do that. And so let's jump into this text. First point, joy in the midst of suffering. Verses 12 through 13. So this really is a new section that Peter is beginning in his letter. You can notice how he begins. This he begins with beloved. And so he's, he's transitioning to the final section of this letter. And, and we must not pass over that statement. He begins by a reminder that Peter is saying, beloved, I am for you. Beloved, my friends. Beloved, I am your pastor whom I, I hold. I hold you in my heart. I pray for you. I know your situation. I, he would know these churches and he wants to communicate at the outset of a hard letter, of a hard part where he's going to call them to, to, be in, to rejoice in suffering, to be blessed in the midst of insult, to know that you will be marginalized, but to rejoice in that. What he wants to begin with is reminding them. This is not corrective. This is not Peter putting down his, his, his fist and saying, hey, why aren't you responding this way? No, his tone is one of a pastor to his church. It is a tone of one that, a, a pastor who knows the very weaknesses and temptations that they will face, yet he also knows the God, the Savior, and the Spirit that is with them. And so for us this morning, Peter begins with us, God begins with us, beloved. Let's not pass over that word. That, my dear friends, is a sweet pillow to rest your weary soul on in the midst of persecution? Are you looking for someone that loves you? Are you looking for someone that is for you? Peter wants to begin by saying, you are beloved, not only by him, but by God. Remember that in the midst of your suffering. But Peter then quickly, he says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. And so the question I want to begin with is, have you ever been surprised by something? Maybe surprised by something, taken aback, Something strange happened. Well, this, this happened to me and my wife, Lauren, a couple years ago. We were eating at a very nice restaurant, a much nicer restaurant than we were used to. It was our first time there. Yes, we did have a gift card. And after finishing the first course, you know, after the first course, we're ready for the main course. Well, our waitress, she was a very kind woman. She, she approaches the table and she puts down this bowl, a very small bowl, and in that bowl was what looked to me like some sherbet ice cream. And I was very perplexed. And she just joyfully put that on our table like everything was perfectly fine. Oh, this is exactly what you need. This is next in line. I looked at Lauren. I was thinking, we looked at each other thinking, what is going on? 
Like, I'm ready for the steak I ordered. I didn't order sherbet. And, and so this, and so this, um, so we thought, oh, she had made a mistake. Oh, she thought that we were done with our meal. And so she wanted to give us a little, it's a nice restaurant. They give you a little free sherbet at the end of the meal. Oh, we're not ready for that yet. Well, so she comes back and I kindly tell her like, hey, we don't want this. We didn't order this. We're not ready for this. And she, with a smile on her face, she was so kind. She looked at me and said, you must have a gift card. No, she, she, <laughs> she, she began to explain to me what was going on. She said, no, there's no mistake, sweetie. This is a palate cleanser. This is actually, I brought this out for you so that you can enjoy what is about to come even more. So you can sit down. You can relax. You can eat that small bowl of ice cream knowing that, yeah, it may not be what you expected. It may have surprised you. But she can say, trust me, what's coming after this, it's going to be better. I was surprised. I was taken off guard. I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what was going on. And in a similar way, Peter is trying to help give faith to a church that has been surprised by trials. They haven't had sherbet delivered to them. They have, they're experiencing something far greater, something that is far more tempting, something that times that can be so much more confusing. And yet Peter wants to come alongside them and say, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Remember Peter saying, beloved, don't be surprised. Don't, don't, don't be confused by what is going on. He wanted to remind them that don't be surprised by this persecution. Don't be taken off guard by it. Don't begin to wonder in the midst of this that where God is. Don't begin to question him. Remember, I have gone down this road. Peter knows this road well. He has experienced this for Christ. I know this road. I know that what God is bringing is hard, but it's good. It's what you need. You may not understand that, but here, let me tell you why. Remember that God, in, in, first, in chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, Peter said that there is a refining that is going on in our lives. There is a testing that is going on in our lives that God is taking us through. And, and, and it's not a refining that is meant to destroy us, but it's a refining that is meant to, ref to, to get out the impurity that is left in us. There is this testing that he does. There is a suffering that he goes through that, so that he, we will get rid of the remaining sin in our lives and that we will love Jesus all the more. Peter's trying to tell them, hey, remember guys, this suffering and this persecution, it is not a sign that God is absent in your life. He's actually present. He's actually present. God hasn't left now that suffering and persecution has come. He's actually here. And he's at work. And he's refining you. He's actually making you more pure. He's actually making you more precious in his sight. So don't be surprised that there's purpose behind this. And instead, he said, instead of being surprised, you should rejoice. He said you should have a smile on your face. Now he says this not to say that we should delight in suffering. He doesn't say that we should go around and think, oh, I can't wait to suffer. I can't wait to suffer. I can't wait for this suffering to come. No, he's not saying that, but he's saying that, yes, there is, re there is still yet Christian, beloved, child of God. There is reason to rejoice even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of being 
mocked and aligned and maligned and insulted for Christ. There is reason to rejoice. Well, what is that reason? Well, it's because we get to participate in the sufferings of Christ. And that, what, he's, what he means by that, by participate or share in Christ's sufferings, it refers to us because it's the suffering that comes from our allegiance to Christ. It means that we are identified with him. It means that Christ is ours and we are Christ. So Peter anticipated here what would be explained in the following verses. Suffering Christ is a cause for joy. Peter himself has experienced this. Remember in Acts 5, 41, Peter and the apostles, they're proclaiming the gospel. And they are told, quit proclaiming the gospel, quit sharing this Christ. But then they continue. And so they are taken before the Sanhedrin. And this is what Luke writes. He says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Their allegiance to Christ, their suffering was not disconnected from their treasuring and living for and loving and proclaiming of Christ. And so their, their suffering was not just kind of out of the blue, but it was that they're, they're able to. Your life, your new life in Christ, your identity in Christ is now leading you to share in Christ's sufferings. What happened when Jesus came? He experienced mocking and ridicule and questioning and people disagreed with him and people did not believe in him and eventually he died on the cross for sins. He suffered and now you are privileged to share in that. Oh, rejoice in that, dear saint. Rejoice that you are able to suffer disgrace for the name of Christ. But that's not the only reason. Peter continues. He says that the first part of the verse emphasizes that believers should rejoice now. If, if they suffer for Christ's sake, then Peter gives them an even greater reason. He points them to a future joy. Look at verse 13. He says that you may also, he says here, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And so there is a joy that we can have now that just prepares us and gets us ready for a joy that is going to be revealed in the last days when Christ will return. And what's going to happen is that our joy in suffering for Christ now is only going to prepare and make sweeter and make, more, and make us more, all the more grateful for the joy when He returns. There is a joy that is coming when He returns. There is His presence that is coming when He returns. And so when His glory is revealed, when we see Christ and He, and he descends and He calls us by name, we're not going to say, oh, I wish I didn't suffer for Christ. We're going to say, praise be to God that I was counted worthy to suffer for the name. Jesus will return. He's reminding them of the long view that Jesus is coming back. There is going to be that joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory that he said that you have been born again to. Remember that glory. Remember that joy that Jesus promised Suffering now in allegiance to Jesus. Remember, yes, suffering now, but joy, inexpressible, filled with glory. Not just when he returns. That's just the beginning, but it's going to be forever. It makes you want to have joy in suffering because you remember. It's not, this isn't just random suffering. This is for Christ. This is for my Savior. I realize that this can be hard I realize that this can be 
It's easy at times to think and consider this when we're sitting here. And I realize that when we're, when we're battling suffering and we're alone and we're questioning God and our hearts are busy, this can be hard to do. So God here, he's not beating us over the head with his word. What he's doing is he's inviting us. He's saying, beloved, through Peter, he's saying, remember my joy. Remember that you're not alone. Remember that one day I will return. Remember that your suffering is not for no sake, but it's for my sake. Persevere. Trust me. Rejoice in your suffering. Peter is wanting us to live this day in light of that day. He's wanting us to suffer persecution this day in light of that day. So after encouraging their faith and confidence in what God is going to do through their suffering, Peter then transitions into verse 14 and 15. He says that you will be blessed in the midst of insult. Blessed in the midst of insult. If you suffer as a Christian, not because you're an irritating person, but because you're obeying Christ, Peter says, congratulations. Ray Ortland says that he would give you a biblical high five. He would say, well done. Oh, you got mocked. Oh, you were ridiculed. Oh, you were insulted. Oh, you were persecuted. God's at work. This isn't something to be worried about. If you are proclaiming Christ and you are suffering for his sake, Peter would say, well done. You are blessed. That is great news. You are suffering for Christ. Not that you are suffering, but who are you suffering for? You are being insulted, not because you're an irritating person, but because you love Jesus. The gospel makes people better citizens. It makes us better employees. It makes us better spouses. We've seen this in 1 Peter 2, 12, through, um, 12 verses through chapter 3, 7, that, that, that the gospel changes our lives, that we, it's not disconnected from our day-to-day living, but at the same time, the Bible is clear that our allegiance is first and foremost to Jesus Christ. And as Timothy says in 2 Timothy 3, that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So it's a promise. So yes, we're going to be better spouses. We're going to be better employees. We're going to be better friends. We're going to be better family members. But if we're going to live a godly life in Christ for his glory, then what is going to come is also persecution. You will also be persecuted. We're never to pick a fight, but when you do take a hit and are insulted, that's not a bad thing. We're not going around picking fights. Not going around wanting to shove the gospel down people's throats. No, but, but when we go to someone and we share Christ with them and we're insulted and they hit us back or they push us away or something happens, we don't rejoice in that happening, but we, just, we remember in the midst of that, Lord, I'm doing this for your name. I'm doing this not because of anything else, but I'm living for you. I'm not going, I'm, I'm not going around trying to fight with everybody. I'm not trying to go around and get in and, and, and go into people's lives and just make them angry. I'm just trying to live for you, Lord. And at times when people ask me what I love and what I think about things and when I share honestly about who I am in Christ and how I think about this world from the Bible's perspective and how I want to glorify God and how I disagree with how a lot of what the world says about a lot of things that at times when I push back against this world and I push back of what Satan wants and I live for Christ and I proclaim his name, then yes, you will be insulted. 
But Peter says, beloved, you are blessed. You are blessed. Why is that? Why are you blessed? Well, here's why. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So this, the spirit of glory and of God refers back to Isaiah 11. In it, Isaiah the prophet writes, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So this is a messianic promise of prophecy that was looking toward Christ, the future Messiah who would come and what would come. How, how would you know that this is the future Messiah? Well, the Spirit of God would rest on him for his mission. So when Jesus came and people saw him and they were like, I've never heard teaching like this man. I, I've never heard someone teach with authority. I've never seen him do the acts that he is doing I've never heard him speak this way. The Spirit of God was resting on him, proclaiming that Christ, the Messiah, has come. And, and, and what Peter is saying, he's saying something similar to what Isaiah was saying, but, but did you catch what he said? He says, the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Isaiah is pointing to the future. Peter is talking about a present reality. The same spirit that rests, that rested upon Christ, is now resting upon each and every believer. The same spirit that was in Christ, the same spirit that gave Christ the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, the same spirit that gave him the knowledge and the fear of God, it is resting on you, Christian. You are blessed. You are blessed. Christ, the Spirit of God, dwells within you. Your body is not your own. You are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. God has taken residence in your life. How do I know? Well, you're being insulted. You're not living for yourself. You're not afraid of going into difficult situations. You're not afraid to suffer for the name. You're not afraid to live a godly life and to proclaim who Christ is. No, you are blessed because you were insulted. Because God's Spirit dwells within you. The Spirit of God, the same Spirit that, that rested in Christ dwells within you. Christian suffering is not an indication that God has abandoned us. It's an indication that God is at work in us. Not only that he's in work in us, but that we belong to him. He's not, he's not just at work in us. And just use, he's not just using us. You feel like that sometimes? God's just using me. He just wants to use me for his purposes. No, you, we belong to him. We, we are his children. We, he is our king. He is our father. He loves us. He loves us so much that he is willing to say, Christian, the one who is a sinner dead in sin and trespasses who hated me, I'm going to give you new life and I'm going to give you my spirit. And you're going to suffer for a little while. You're going to be insulted. But remember, when you are insulted, you are blessed because it is my spirit that is dwelling in you 
That is why. The death of Richard Warmbrand in 2001 didn't attract a huge amount of attention, but back in the late 1960s and early 70s, he was one of the better-known dissidents in the communist bloc. And unusually for a dissident at that time, he had no intellectual, he was not an intellectual, but he was an evangelical pastor in Romania. He was suffering for the gospel. He described the joy he possessed, he possessed amid persecution. He had been confined in solitary confinement. He had been beaten and he has borne many scars. Yet he said that in all and it all, there were times he, when he was overcome with joy. Because he belonged to God. And because the Spirit of God dwelled within him and filled him with joy. Matthew 5.11, Jesus, Jesus said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account. So are we ready, are we willing and ready to be insulted for our allegiance to Jesus? There are times when we are insulted for our allegiance to Jesus, but Peter also makes clear that there are times in verse 15 when we suffer because of our own sin. He says, let none, let, but let none suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. I just love the realism of Peter. He knows, yes, you're going to suffer for the allegiance of Christ. You're going to proclaim him, but also you're, you still have remaining sin in your heart, and you're just going to make bad decisions. You're, you're not going to do everything right. Now, he starts off with, don't be a murderer or a thief. So I think those are clear of like, hey, these are punitive. These are things that are serious. Kind of a rhetorical, like, hey, we're not going to go out and kill people. We're not going to steal from people. Those are obvious ones. But, but then he says the second one, don't be an evildoer. Don't just be excited about evil. Don't go around looking to do bad things. Kind of just this general oversense of be fighting your sin, that remaining sin in your life. Just push that out. Don't live in that. But then the last one, he says, don't be a meddler. And I just think that with, it's a, this is a word that was only used once here in Peter. It's not used anywhere else. But really what, how we can define this meddler is watching over another's affairs. So what this word meddler means is there's someone who is just plain annoying. They're a busybody. There is someone who is caught up in everyone else's business. There's someone who, has, who is so entrenched in others' affairs that they don't have time or don't want to take the time to consider their own heart. And you can imagine when we are so involved in others' affairs, when we are inserting ourselves in other affairs, when we are trying to get into the know of what other people are doing and we want to share our perspective on these things. I'm just a Christian. I'm just trying to help here. Just trying to get in. I got a little wisdom for you. You can tell me your stuff. Don't worry. I'll, we, just, we can do that with people where it's, we're not invited in. And social media makes this all the more difficult. We can feel like we're involved in all these people's lives, and yet our sphere of responsibility is actually pretty small. We can feel like that we're supposed to communicate with all these different people. These, all these folks, they need to hear what I have to say. And so then we begin to share what we have to say to all these people. And what happens? We begin to suffer. And it's not suffering for the sake of Christ. It's suffering because we're sharing what we think in other people's lives and so we're suffering not for Christ, but for ourselves. So this must have been going on 
with these churches. There must have been people who were just prone and tempted to, they wanted to be in the middle of people's business. And, it's, and, and, and what Peter wants to guard is, hey, don't suffer like that. Let's not do that. That's not what Christians do. Yes, we, we, we care for others. Yes, we want to preach the gospel to others. But we're not going around trying to just get in people's business. We want to look for open doors. Do I have an open door to share with this person? Are they inviting me into their life? Well, then let me step into that and let me boldly and, and confidently proclaim Christ to them. But, but I'm not trying to get in there. Not looking. Trying to get into people's lives that I shouldn't be. So it's a good moment for us as a church. Let's invite the Spirit. Spirit, search me and know me. How am I being an evildoer? Am I, is there any evil in me which I am suffering that you would lead me to repent and confess? Am I being a meddler? Am I, am I, when was the last time am I so consumed with others' affairs that I don't take the time to consider? What, what are you doing in my own heart? At times it's easier to Focus on everyone else's business and not our own. Lord, I need to focus on my heart. George MacDonald said, The Son of God suffered unto death, not that men might not suffer, but that their sufferings might be like His. Let's suffer like Jesus suffered. Let's, Let's live like Him. Third, devoted in the midst of judgment. So 1 Peter 4.16 Peter begins by saying, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And so it's important to remember Christian in verse 16, this was not a common word that Christians called themselves. People didn't go around who were believers. They said, I'm a Christian. No, that's not something that was said within Christianity. That was something that the people on the outside were calling the followers of Christ as a demeaning. Oh, he's one of those Christ followers. He's one of those Christians. We have evidence of this. Um, you get a sense of the attitudes of the ancient world toward Christians. There was graffiti found in the um, first part of the 19th century. It had been scratched into plaster of a building that dates from about 200 A.D. And uh, it, was, uh, it was used as a sort of boarding school for imperial servant boys just at the end of a Roman emperor. It was found in Palatine Hill in Rome. And the graffiti depicts a young man worshiping a crucified figure. And his name is Aleximenos. And the inscription reads, Aleximenos worships his God. And the crucified figure has the head of a donkey. And so what you see is that these boarding school boys, they're, they're wanting to mock him. So Aleximenos, it's come out that he's a Christian. And so now what they've done is that they've put this graffiti in the wall so that when Aleximenos walks by, he sees, oh, people know that I'm a Christian. And they're mocking him. They're ridiculing him. They're saying, oh, look at this Christian who worships this crucified God. Putting a donkey on his head would mock Christ, not honor Christ. There was a massive social stigma attached to it. You got mocked at it for school for being a Christian. People shunned you. Business was harder. So what should we as believers do when we face hostility like this? If it comes our way, we live in a world where we don't really face as much of this. It's growing, so it's good for us to think about this. But when, when we face this hostility, when we suffer for the name of Christian, the reality is the temptation, Peter knows this, is it is to be ashamed. To, to be ashamed. To, to be ashamed of Christ. To, to be like, oh man. To, to, to shame that, that you're suffering for him. 
But he doesn't want that. He doesn't want us to, to be ashamed for wearing the name of Christ. He doesn't, he doesn't call us to that. He wants us to glorify God. If you, if you suffer because of the name Christian, don't be ashamed of that name, but realize who you're following, who you've trusted. So he's, he's wanting to encourage the fear of the Lord. And there's a way to glorify God in suffering through our utter devotion to Him. And, and, and devotion to Christ looks all the more amazing when we're in the midst of suffering and insult. Amazing thing about when you look at and think about the apostles leaving the Sanhedrin rejoicing for suffering for the name, it's that where you begin to think like, wow, these people actually believe this stuff. This guy's willing to die for Christ. This guy's willing to stand here and face ridicule for Christ. In the midst of suffering and being insulted and bearing the name Christian, when we suffer, there's not a time for shame. It's not a time to be ashamed of, but it's a time to glorify God and be all the more devoted to Him. And, and, and I'm sure, as you are, that there are moments in our lives where we become ashamed of the gospel. I, oh man, I could have said something. Oh man, I could, have, I could have asked a question. I could have talked about my faith. I could have talked about even going to church. or I could have, I could have brought this into the conversation, but I didn't because I was afraid that, that he was going to know I was a Christian. And just being a Christian, it comes with all kinds of just labels and thoughts. And remember, Peter's here. He's wanting to encourage our faith. He's not, he's not wanting to put his thumb on us and push us down, but encourage our faith. But after talking about not being ashamed, Peter then makes a surprising transition in verses 17 and 18, but he offers insight into persecution that we might not naturally think of. And so persecution is more than an outburst of human malice. God is in persecution. It is, not the, it is the judgment of God coming to the household of God. Peter says in verse 17, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcomes for those who do, not, who do not obey the gospel? So suffering here for Peter represents God's judgment in his house. And by house of God, Peter meant the church. So what Peter is saying is that the judgment that is happening right now, the persecution, the, the suffering, this is a sign of God's judgment to the church. He is beginning his judgment. Another way to think about that is not condemnation, not his anger or his wrath, it's a way to think about his fatherly discipline. God is, is refining and purifying and showing to the church how what it means to live for him. And as they suffer and as they're maligned and insulted, they're able to rejoice in God. They're able to be blessed as they're insulted. And they're able to be all the more devoted to him. God is at work refining his church. This refining takes place now. Judgment for Christians now. Discipline for Christians is now. But then Peter, he turns to the unbeliever. And he says, if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? What that means there is that they do not believe the gospel. It is that the day they deny the gospel, they don't hold true to the gospel. They don't respond to the faith and trust in Christ of the gospel. It's not that they have to do certain things for the gospel, but he's just saying that they dismiss it. They don't believe in Jesus. But then he says, for those who have not obeyed the gospel, if the righteous is scarcely saved, if the righteous is saved with difficulty, if there's all this suffering and refining and discipline, what will become 
of the ungodly and the sinner. And this is a moment for those who are not Christians and are with us that I want to turn my attention to you and I just want to invite you now to come to Jesus. Peter here is saying that there is judgment that is coming. And yes, it is beginning now with the household of God, but judgment is not just in the household of God. It is for all. And when he returns, he will bring his judgment and we will all stand before him and we will have to give an account and we, he, will, he will show us our lives and it will be clear to him and to us that we have fallen short of his glory and he will say to us and invite us to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And what I offer to you now is to believe in Jesus now and to come to him by faith and to see that, yes, Christianity looks weak and it looks maligned and it looks like it's foolish, but it is the power of God to all who believe. Come to Christ. Trust in Him. He is a sure foundation. And in conclusion, Peter, he ends with this wonderful verse in verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Joni Erickson Tata, she says this. I, and Joni Erickson Tata, she, was, she became a lady that was, became a quadriplegic, suffered at an early age. And it's just this, is, this quote is after she discovered about... 10 years into her quadriplegia that she was suffering through intense pain. She said, I relearned the timeless lesson of allowing my suffering to push me deeper into the arms of Jesus. I like to think of my pain as a sheepdog that keeps snapping at my heels to drive me down the road to Calvary, where otherwise I would not be naturally inclined to go. Let your suffering drive you deeper into the heart of God. Let it be a sheepdog that drives you to Christ let it be a sheepdog that nips at you, may hurt, may sting, may be uncomfortable, but may it drive you into the heart of God. Our suffering, it drives us into the heart of God. And it also drives us all the more into doing good. Now is not the time for retreat before revival. Now is the time for us to proclaim Christ and to live for him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are God and there is no one like you. I thank you, Lord, that you have created the world, that when we entrust our souls to you, you are the faithful creator. You are the one who created the world and sustains this world so we can trust you. When we put our lives into your hands, our eyes are taken off of our circumstances and our times and our eyes are fixated on your strong, stable, sure, directing hand. And all the confusion and questions and concern we have are turned into peace because we trust you. So Lord, help us to be faithful believers. Help us to look to you. Help us to live for you. Help us to rejoice in suffering. To, ble to be blessed in insult. And to be devoted in the midst of judgment. Oh Lord, you are so good to us. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message given by Jake Simmons during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.